Welcome. We are a mother-daughter podcast about all things surrogacy. Together, we have brought eight beautiful babies into this world, and we would like to share our knowledge of surrogacy with those who want to educate themselves on the topic. This is Stop, Sit, Surrogate. Welcome back to Stop, Sit, Surrogate with Kennedy and Ellen. We have an amazing guest today. Would you like to please introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. My name's Grace and I am a surrogate out of California. Oh, we have a California. Yeah, we're in the same time zone. It's amazing. So rare. But thank goodness. Because when we, yeah, because usually we're talking to people when it's like their kid's bedtime and I feel so bad, but nobody's ever out here. It's crazy. Okay. How did you find out about surrogacy? I guess it's something I always kind of knew about, but it didn't occur to me that it was something that I wanted to do until I was in my mid thirties, at least. I knew that people were surrogates for others that couldn't carry their own babies. And the first time it was suggested to me, my mom said, oh, you know, your friend is gay and he might want to have a family someday. My friend, it it was her friend's son. She said, my friend wants to have grandchildren. How would you feel about donating an egg and carrying their baby? And I just, I don't think that that's for me. I don't think I could do egg donation. I don't think that I could do traditional surrogacy where it's your egg and you carry it. I just, any child of mine, I would want to live with me and raise it. So I just kind of brushed it off as something that I didn't need to do. And then I just, I heard more about women doing it that I actually knew. And I thought more about it and I loved being pregnant so much. And we were pretty adamant that we were done having our own children. I have two. Mm -hmm. And I just, I thought, well, I would really love to experience that again And then I have a lot of people in my life that have struggled to create a family of their own for one reason or another. And it, it just kind of all came together in my mind. And I thought, well, I want to do this. I should do this. I think that'll be fulfilling in multiple ways. Awesome. So I want to touch on one thing, Rick. So you were closer to the age where they're going to cut you at like say no more like the end age than you were to the beginning age right oh yes much okay <laughs> yeah me too like I literally that last one I was like I turned the age you should you know I think I turned 42 and had the baby like I was like okay you're done you can't feed this anymore like okay that's fine but yeah I wish I would have started way earlier wish I would have but yeah even though I started later I still think it was the right time in my life yeah. to be doing yes. it but it, it made it feel like a little bit more pressure to execute as soon as possible, because I knew that I was going to be getting older, especially this, um, I'm in my second journey. So this second time I felt a little bit of pressure from no one, but myself to get it started earlier rather than later. That makes sense though. Go ahead. No, you go. Cause my question really should be saved for the end. Okay. <laughs> How did you find your agency? So, you know, you want to be a surrogate. What do you do? Start just looking them up on the, or did somebody give you a referral and say, Hey, try this one. A little bit of both. So I, I started, I didn't even know that I needed an agency. I didn't know what that was or why anyone would want one, but I really didn't know what else to do. So as I was Googling surrogacy in general, 
I learned about the difference between traditional and gestational, knew that gestational was the way I wanted to go. And agencies kept popping up and so many of them. Um, And then actually the other way that I found out about agencies was I was looking for podcasts and I don't think that yours was out quite yet. And I came across one from a surrogacy agency in Southern California and Mm -hmm. listened to it. And I thought, oh, well, I should contact them because I heard about their podcast and Mm -hmm. had been listening to it during my working uh, drive time. And it was, it was hard to find an agency when I started my journey I knew what I wanted to do. I had looked up the requirements. I understood that I was fairly overweight for the BMI requirements. Um, I believe my BMI was around between 36 and 38 when I started looking, but I had already started the process and the commitment to getting to the BMI requirement within a short period of time. I was working really hard at that. And so I started calling agencies so I could have everything lined up by the time my BMI was in the window that it needed to be. And because of where I was at when I started calling in early 2020, almost everybody told me to call them back when I had lost the weight. And the agency that I went with actually was a referral from someone in my life that had been a surrogate. She used them for their second journey and, um, her kids had babysat my kids a few times. So we were kind of acquaintances and she recommended them to me. And they were the only agency out of the 20 or so that I called that said, we want to be a part of your weight loss journey with you. That's part of the process. There's other things that we can work on in the meantime, clearly. Cause I told them like, this was about February, mid to late February of 2020. So I told them where I had started the year at and where I was at already in my weight loss journey. And they said, yeah, you got this. Let us be a part of it. And we'll work on your records and other stuff in the meantime. And then COVID hits. And then COVID hit. Yeah. And it, it threw us off a little bit, but It really, my records were a little bit difficult to get together. My oldest child currently is 15. So she was 12 when we got started and her records were on paper in a storage facility and the physician had passed away. So it wasn't anything that they had handy or could collect or anything. So it took a while to get all of that together. I will say that COVID and restrictions on where you could go and doctor's offices and stuff like that did make it a little bit difficult because I had to physically go down there and ask them to please give me my paper records. I need those because they weren't, they weren't scanning all of them. It felt like they were being kind of lazy about it. So I had to go ask for all of them so I could scan them myself and send them to the agency. Gotcha. So it it did end up taking some time anyway. Um, so that accounted for the slowdown with COVID. Okay. Can I backtrack for a second? Because I know that different, I don't know if it's the agencies that said it or if it's the clinics and the agencies go off of the clinics, but for, for the BMI that you were trying to bring it down to, was it like drastic in like you had to, this is like drastic, not 10, you didn't have to drop 10 BMI, you know, points or whatever, but like, what was it with that agency? Cause I've seen it be different everywhere. Yeah. And even I think that things changed really rapidly with BMI requirements, just from what I've seen over the almost four years now that I've been 
on surrogacy journeys in general. Um, but I think when I started my research, it was 30. And then in talking to them, it had been updated to 32. And now it does go by really what the what the clinic wants to yeah. see. And the particular clinic that I'm working with, I'm on a sibling journey. So it's the same clinic this time. I was a little bit worried about my BMI after the first journey and wanted to make sure I was prepared and get down to the BMI required if needed. Um, and they had increased theirs to, I think it's 34.9. Oh, okay. So it's okay. a lot different. I'm glad yeah, to hear that, that it's a little higher because yeah. Uh, yeah. so many women who would be very, very good surrogates are just locked out of that, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And even, I just feel like my BMI runs high. I don't know yeah. if it's something for other people, but like at the end of 2020, I was the most fit and slim as I have ever been in my adult life. And my BMI was still like right at 30. It wasn't going to get below that. And I thought there's no way I can lose any more weight. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe I pack on the pounds of muscle. <laughs> well, see, and that's, what, that's what I always hate though, is like when it comes to like weight loss and stuff like that, like everybody's body is so different. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's fair to base it off of some silly number. Like right. granted, like, yes. Okay. If you have a BMI of 60, that's wildly different. And like, you know, but like, I don't, I don't know, but it, yeah. yeah. When I'm done with my surrogacy journeys, I'll be excited. Cause I probably won't have to think about my BMI ever again. Oh. Knock on wood. What a dream yeah. <laughs> and eat all, eat anything you want. <laughs> um, okay. So, so we, Helen, you said that it's a, your second journey is a sibling journey. So mm -hmm. when it came to your first journey, did you know who you wanted to match with, or did you have any like um, like wish lists that you like yeah. wanted to do? I didn't. And that's something I've thought so much more about in listening to your podcast and hearing everyone's stories. Yeah. I, I was very open. I did know that I would, I, I don't remember giving them a wish list or anything, but just in my mind, I knew that I preferred, um, a family, whether that was a single person or a, a same sex couple or, um, a hetero couple, I knew that I wanted some kind of relationship with them in the future. And the ideal relationship to me would be like Facebook friends, like your Facebook friends from high school, where maybe you don't really chat all the time, but you kind of yeah. see what's yeah. going on in their lives. Yeah. Um, I only wanted something more than that if it came organically. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to be like best friends joined at the hip. Let's move in together tomorrow <laughs> kind of situation because I think we all yeah. need our personal space. Yeah. And then I knew that I would prefer a couple that I could communicate with in some way. So okay. if they spoke English in some fashion, whether that's through texting or um, speaking or had like a translator or at least one of them in the couple that was a couple could speak English pretty well I would prefer that there you go that's a, but that's pretty, that's pretty good. basic I mean, that's yeah. the basic necessities of I think of what mm -hmm. I would want to like I think communicate I, I know communication to everyone is not like you know, high par, but it's really nice to have the ability to not have to go through somebody every single time and be yeah. like, you know, like, this is what's happening with your baby. Like, I don't want to tell, you know, Amy over here and then she can tell you and then you'll get back to her and then she'll get back to me and like, just a longer process. 
Yeah. And I do love my agency and my coordinators that I've had my, or my case managers. Um, but I'm, I'm someone that I like to go straight to the source to work through things. So I really wanted a couple or like I said, a single person, whoever it might be that was really open to communicating, um, clearly and honestly and things like that. I don't think I knew how to articulate all that when I was working with the agency to match. Um, but thinking back that, that's what I wanted. And, and now that I've listened to other stories, if I had to do it all over again, I think I could make a much more concise wish list, but that's, that's what was in my mind to start with. And did you, did you get to match with someone? Well, how did matching go? I guess like, were you given profiles or was your profile given? I guess I, it was given, I'm not really sure how it worked. It just worked. Like, again, listening to some of the stories that I've heard on your podcast or in talking to others, Mm -hmm. um, there's much more of a selection process, but the way it was framed up to me is we have an amazing matchmaker at our agency and she will find the best match for you. I actually got preliminarily matched with a couple, a male couple from Israel around, I'd say like April, May of 2020. And I had, I really started my journey January 1st of 2020. Um, So they sent me this couple. I don't know if they sent me their profile, but she said they had seen mine and they were very excited about me. And I thought that they both looked like an Israeli George Clooney. They were really beautiful men. (laughs) And I was like, yes, absolutely. Sign me up. I want to be their surrogate. I know nothing else about them. I know they speak English. That's great. Um, But they, they look amazing. And it took a while, like I said, to get my records. And um, I discovered in the first part of the medical clearance that I had hypothyroid. And so they were getting my medication sorted out and everything. And in the meantime, the couple, I think, was ready to really get things going. And so that match never worked out. Um, And they sent me another couple. They said, we think you're really going to like these guys. Um, They were also from Israel. It was going to be their first baby, but they were looking for someone that they could potentially do a sibling journey with down the road. The communication that they were looking for seemed to line up and Mm -hmm. they, they looked so happy and just so excited to become a family. And Mm -hmm. I, I thank goodness every day that the George Clooney's didn't work out because I could not have asked for better parents and I wouldn't want to do it with anyone else unless I had to. Happens for reasons. That's so great. That is so awesome. So you actually had, you have had a successful journey for them? Yeah, we had a baby girl in October of 2021. She's going to be two pretty soon. I can't believe it. Wow. Wow. Oh my gosh. So, okay. So then how, um, how did your journey go? Like, were there complications or did you get smooth sailing? I really feel like it was smooth sailing other than some of the challenges that came with navigating the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. There really were no issues. I, I didn't have any medical complications of any kind. Um, it was my third C-section 
I went into it really hoping that I could try for a VBAC. Both of my children were C-sections. Um, so it wasn't a complication of any kind, but I would call it a disappointment because I really wanted to try for that just to have that experience. Um, but once presented with all of the, the pros and the cons, it really was the right thing to do for everyone's safety to have a C-section again. Yeah. Um, so there was that, but other than that, it, it just went really well. I couldn't have asked for better again, even considering the pandemic, I'd say just navigating things with the parents travel and where they would stay. Um, there were some hiccups at the hospital during the delivery with just how they would be received at the hospital and how they would be able to navigate the first couple of days with their baby. That was a bit of a challenge, but health wise, we were all great. Okay. What was the challenge? Yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. What, What was the challenge? Um, I, I don't know how other places really do it, but the place that I live, where I'm from, a lot of surrogate or a lot of doctors are not surrogate friendly. So they don't see surrogates for the pregnancy and finding a doctor and a hospital that would deliver a surrogate pregnancy was a little bit of a challenge. My hospital and my doctor were an hour away. Um, So that was a little bit frustrating. And then at the time, I don't know if it was a COVID restriction or why they didn't do this, but there's no place for the parents to stay in the hospital. So, and they don't have an old fashioned nursery. I don't know if you're familiar with like the babies used to go to the nursery all the time. Yes. Yeah. So they don't have that. They only have the NICU. So the baby, once um, I delivered the baby, I got to say hi to her really quickly. And then they took her to the NICU and the parents were allowed to visit her whenever they wanted. They said before we went into the delivery, but then in real life, they kind of like shooed the parents away in the night to go sleep at a hotel. And then they came back in the morning and it just was not the best experience for them um, for those first 24 hours. And then for sure, for COVID restrictions, we were not allowed to see each other at the hospital. Mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to see the baby until we went home. And then um, the parents, they made an exception and they let them come visit me in my room for a little bit. But other than that, we just didn't have any contact at the hospital once the baby was delivered. So that was rough for me. And then for them, for their first 24 to 48 hours with their baby, it was not what they had envisioned. Right. No. That stinks. Even if there was COVID, they could have given them a room. They could have given them their own area. Even if you guys had to be separate, they could have put them and let them start parenting right away. The baby didn't need to be in the NICU is my understanding, but that's right. the only place for the baby to have gone because they didn't give them a room. That's sad. Yeah. That really is. They did get they got kind of a private area in mm-hmm. the NICU and okay. I thought, oh, well, all things considered, that's nice, but you're right. It would have been much nicer for them to have a room. Yeah. And I used to be a baby photographer in the oh. hospital taking newborn photos and I would see like adoptions. I don't, I didn't have any knowledge of if anything was like a surrogacy, but there were times where the parents didn't deliver the baby, but there was a room for them and they would be in there and I would go in and offer pictures and things like that so it just was weird to me that they didn't have that available at my hospital yeah, yeah. that is weird, especially for, now for this journey are yeah. you going to the same hospital 
No. (laughs) So it, it really stinks. That hospital has since changed their guidelines and they do now give the parents a room. However, there's not a doctor that I could find that will work at that hospital. So I had to find a new doctor um, and go to a new hospital. And it just, it's a little bit frustrating. This will be my fourth delivery and my fourth hospital, but I haven't moved anywhere. I've lived here this whole time. Um, But as long as we're getting the best care possible, that's all, that's all that's most important to me. Does this new hospital allow them to have their own room? They do. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And how far away is it for you? Do you have to travel wise? It's not that far. It's about 25 minutes, but it's still not, it's not in my town. There's a hospital five minutes away where they don't see surrogates. That that seems discriminatory. That's a whole nother podcast, but I, I, I'm having issues with it over here. I'm really boiling mad about that, but okay. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I've, I mean, I've personally experienced that once when I just needed to go, like, you know, like they're like, Oh, can you go get a pap before like you go to medical and the doctor who's under my insurance was like, Nope, I'm not going to deal with surrogates. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not even, like, I wasn't even pregnant. I was just trying to become a surrogate. And she was like, no. I'm just like, this, this is like, I, that was my first experience that people, doctors would say no to people that are literally just pregnant, like, or just trying to yeah. become pregnant. Like, why does it matter? Yeah, it I guess it has to do with billing. Like I've asked why. Oh, and I guess it has to do with billing issues that they've had in the past where maybe insurance wouldn't cover and then they just don't get paid because the surrogate doesn't want to pay and then the parents aren't, they didn't know they were going to have to pay. It just, I'm sure it gets complicated and I understand that, but I have great surrogate friendly insurance. And even with the doctor I delivered with before, so we did get pregnant, um, already at a transfer in March. And unfortunately we had a second trimester loss. Um, but prior to the loss, I was trying to get back in with my OB from last time because I really, I, I liked the experience. I liked the doctor. Um, they had, changed their process with the parents at the hospital. So that's really what I wanted. And I was begging them to make an exception because my insurance, like they had no issues with me. It's all the same insurance, same everything. Will you let me try it again? And still they said no. Wow. But they saw you for the first one. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Odd. Super odd. Very odd. Um, Grace, we do not have to touch on this and I can totally cut this out. Are you willing to touch on your second trimester loss? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that, I think it's important to share and I, I don't know if there's something going on that there's more second trimester losses now, or I don't know if it's that we just hear more about them because women are more open about it and we have more visibility to others on social media. But I feel like there have been several second trimester losses in our community lately and, and with people I know having their own babies too. And it, I think it's something that doesn't get talked about. And I just feel it sounds cheesy, but I feel this calling to share with others because I wish that there had been more people for me to lean on. Not that there weren't, there were some really great people that reached out to me, but 
I think that supporting each other through situations like that is so important. And it's so important. I've never had a miscarriage of my own child. And I think that regardless of whether I've had that experience or not, losing someone else's child is its own situation and yes. has its own difficulties to navigate. And Absolutely. I'd love to be able to help somebody going through that. So first off, how are you doing with it? Yeah. I'm doing well. It was really difficult in the be like when it happened, of yeah. course. Yeah. It was so what month yeah. did it occur? You may have said it and I I didn't hear. I was month? 16 weeks. And so what month was that? April, March? Four? Four going into five. Oh, month of the year. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Month of the year. Oh, sorry. Uh that was in June. Oh, June sixteenth. Of twenty twenty two. 23. It was just a couple just months right ago. Just right now, like three months. Like, yeah. oh my God. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yeah. It's, wow. it was really hard and you don't expect it at that no. point for sure. Mm -hmm. So how did you, yeah. How did you know? Did you like, know? Was something right. wrong? Like, did you feel like something was wrong? Did the doctor say, oh, hey, something's showing up different on the ultrasound? Yeah. No, I know that home Dopplers are controversial and maybe this is why but I had been in the habit of checking on the Doppler listening to the heartbeat morning and night it was just really reassuring for me yeah. everything had been going perfectly all of our scans had been normal I had done the NIPT test and all of um, those potential complications had come back as normal everything was fine yeah. and I had been listening to the heartbeat morning and night and I listened to it in the morning on the 15th and it was great. Found it right away in the spot it's usually in. And I went to check it that evening and could not find it. And I thought, well, he's getting bigger. Maybe he's moved. Um, so I tried standing up straight for a while. I tried doing some yoga poses, like some downward dog and like hanging upside down, all these things. And I still could not find it. Um, so I thought, well, I'm not going to freak out again. He could have moved. Something could have happened. So I waited until the morning and I still couldn't find it. And that's really when I started to worry. Yeah. And I had an appointment coming up the following Monday. And that was going to be a busy day for me anyway. So I called them to ask them to move it to that day. It was a Friday yeah. and we went in and, and they confirmed it. And it, there was no reason that they could give me why it happened, but it just is something that happened. And it was so awful. Oh, so oh. how, I, I mean, I hate to even ask, but how do you relay that information to the intended parents? Like that's got to be the hardest phone call because they're not here. Right. Right. They're in Israel. And I knew that it was the middle of the night when I went for my appointment. And wow, I think that a lot of people maybe would relay that through the agency, but yeah. because I have such a great relationship with the parents, it was really important to me to make that phone call yeah. um, or FaceTime call. Yeah. And so I did, I FaceTime them in the middle of the night. They did not answer right away. Um, I did check in with my agency first, just to loop them in and, and let yeah. them know and, and tell them that I wanted to tell the parents myself. I didn't want them reaching out 
before yeah. I did. Yeah. Um, so they, they called me back while I was still at the office and it was only one, it's a, a male couple. So it was only one of the dads. So I, I told him I needed to have them both on the phone. So he went and got the other one and they called me back and, and I told them, and one of them works in, um, assisted reproduction. So oh. he, they both were definitely devastated, but yeah. I think that that helped with the understanding. You never really understand mm -hmm. why something like this would happen. Right. Um, but the whole time it has been, these things happen. We know we don't blame you. We're not upset. Oh. And oh. so compassionate. can I, can I, I mean, this is a two-part question. So one, did that take any load off of how you were feeling? The fact that, oh my, like, I'm, they're being comforting. They're being understanding. They're, they know that it wasn't. Empathetic. Mm -hmm. Like. I'll say yes, but I don't know any difference. So yeah. I, yeah. I can only imagine if, what it would be like if, if someone blamed me. Mm-hmm. I, I still, to an extent, I, I really, I try very hard not to blame myself, but I still replay all of my actions that week. What was I doing? What was going on in my life? How could this have happened? Grace, you can't, you can't, yeah. I, know. I know you can't, but, and you do it, but not your fault. Not, yeah. not. Yeah. So their, their empathy was, it's why we're so close. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So then the next phase of that is you have to give birth you you have to relinquish that fetus obviously do they induce you that was the plan oh so we uh we went to we were in the clinic when we they couldn't find the heartbeat either on doppler or on the ultrasound machine they had there mm -hmm. so they sent us across the street to the hospital there to um have a more High resolution scan and see if they could figure out why it happened when it had happened yeah. um confirmed that the baby had passed so they took us over there and the hospital was so nice they oh, were good. very understanding they took me to a nice quiet room they brought me water they were just they were expecting me when i walked in mm -hmm. and i I had held it together at the office. I, I was very upset when we were watching the ultrasound and I, that baby's face in that moment when we were not finding the heartbeat will never leave my mind. That was really hard to see. Um, I, so I, I, right now. She, oh my God. I held it all together while we left the clinic and then I lost it in the car on the way across the street and then my husband I know that he was trying he was with me by chance yeah, he's never ask. gotten to go to a doctor appointment before but he happened to be with me that day okay good. and he because it was the closest spot he parked in the like new mom and baby parking spot and I screamed you have to move you cannot park in this spot I'm not bringing home a baby don't park here. And I made him move the car and then I got out of the car and I just lost it. And he escorted me in. And like I said, the hospital was so nice and they knew why I was there and took me straight to a room. Yeah. Um, and then they told me to come back the next day to be induced. So mm. I went home. I mm. asked for some volume so I could get some sleep. Yeah. God. 
And I went home and I, I packed my bag. And in the morning, like when you're going to deliver a baby, I put my bag in the car and we drove to the hospital and I made arrangements for my children. So I could be gone for, you know, a day or two. We had no idea how long it would take. And we got to the hospital and they immediately told me that they had been looking at my scans before I got there and that I was probably going to have a C-section. And I was like, no, I, I'm not having a C-section. You cannot cut me open. My, my fear was that I would be disqualified from trying again. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the first things out of my mouth when I called the parents to tell them was that I want to try again. This, this was not it. And I want, I want us to be able to, to bring another baby to be yeah. a sibling for, for your daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not want to be disqualified for having another C-section. Right. And so I had to wait for the on-call doctor to come in. I won't get into too many details, but it was the worst hospital experience of my life. Oh, they were not very kind. I was stuck in a room for four hours and they came to check on me. Never. The doctor came in to talk to me, to tell me basically that I was going to end up going home at the end of the day or whenever we were done and that I would not be having the baby that day, that they didn't know what the future held for how we would deliver the baby. I was told that I I probably wasn't going to have a C-section, but that I probably wasn't going to be induced either and that they would be doing a D and E. Um, but a D and E, not a DNC. Right. So it's really graphic, but I guess DNE involves a lot more suction oh. and DNC involves a lot more scraping. Okay. So they told me they were probably going to try for a DNE, but they were going to have to figure out where to do that because, again, I live in this middle of California with all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And because of abortion law changes, um, that's not what they said, but that's kind of what was implied. Oh my gosh. Was they that don't after do... Lizzie Wade? flipped this was this was in june so they told me that most of the doctors in our area don't do dnes but i didn't think california followed that ruling i didn't think so either and again they did not say that that's why but that's kind of what was implied and where i could gather like what for what reason would you not do that correct Um, and that was what i could kind of get from that And so it was really frustrating. And long story short, I spent an entire week carrying the baby while they figured out how to best deliver him from me because they were worried that I had, I had placenta previa that I did not know about prior to the, um, prior to the loss. And the placenta was sitting in the same area that my C-section scars are in. Mm -hmm. And so they were concerned that I had another condition called placenta accreta where the placenta attaches and or infiltrates your scars and it doesn't let go when the baby's delivered however Mm. that might be and you could bleed out so they did want me to have a dne so i could be in a surgical setting in the event that i did start to bleed and then i had to go to a lot of specialists to rule out as best as possible whether i had placenta accreta and the whole time I was just so scared that I wasn't going to be able to try again because right. of any complication that might have come up. 
Yeah. And then it just it was hard in general to walk around all week. that you had passed and just being so sad about it and so many emotions that you go through in general with a loss but also not knowing the future of my own health and then that's very dangerous for you grace that was very dangerous for you to let them continue to let that continue on like very dangerous for you your health your well-being yeah I I don't get that I'm I'm at a loss I really am doesn't make sense. Did he spontaneously abort or did they end up doing the DNA? I had to have the DNA. Um, we were able to do that one week after we found God, out about nice. the loss. Yeah. Um, oh. And, you know, just to circle back to the parents. Yeah. I've, oh. they were so worried about me. They didn't share so much about it in that moment because they think they didn't want to cause me any additional grief or being upset but um later they shared and the agency shared that their main concern that whole week all that time yes they were upset that they lost their baby but they were so worried about me and what would happen to me and again to have parents that that would be their main concern is I still can't believe it I really appreciate them little little slices of heaven yeah gosh oh my god I just want to say that I one, I'm so sorry that this happened, yeah. but this was an experience that you personally had to experience. And two, that, that it went on longer than it needed to. Like the, yeah. the mental toll mm-hmm. that it probably took on you. Cause like, right, like you said, like there are people right now that are going through second trimester loss and it's, mm-hmm. and it's so sad <laughs> um, because it's not something that's talked about. And I honestly, was so naive so to the sad. fact that that was a thing. And then I, you had briefly in the past mentioned your story and now other people are coming forward. And I just, I'm really, really sorry that anybody has to go through this. And Horrible. I appreciate you telling this with such grace um, and helping because I, yeah. think, I think it's important to talk about now. So, so Grace, who is your support? obviously your husband, of course he is, but did the agency, are, are they behind you? Are they supportive during this whole thing? And are they like, Hey, we're getting you in, we're going to find a place like they're on it. Yes. They, as far as we're going to find you a place and everything, if I had needed that, yes, they would have done that for me. My agency is amazing. Okay. Good. Um, but so really good. they, they let the doctors handle that. And I do mm-hmm. want to say it, it really sucked to have to carry that baby for the extra week and having to go to all the appointments I went to. And, and when all was said and done, I wound up at Stanford. I know if you're in California, you've heard of it. Um, Maybe you've heard of it if you're not in California, but it's one of the top healthcare um, university facilities in the nation. Um, That's where I wound up to see a specialist at the end of the week to do everything they could to roll out the placenta creta. And then that's where I had my procedure and I could not have asked for better care there. And if all of those roads were to lead me there for the best care ever, then I'm grateful for it. It it was hard, but what if something had happened to me and I wasn't with a specialist? What if I had had placenta accreta? I really appreciate 
even the doctor that I did not enjoy very much on that Saturday where I thought I was going to go be induced. Yeah. I, I appreciate that she went the extra mile to really make sure that I got the best care possible. They could have just induced me and yeah, something could have happened. Or if they did a D&E near where I live, they could have just sent me in for that without really investigating and something could have happened. So it, right. it happened for a reason. It was the it right did. way. It did. Gosh. Um, can I ask, can I ask advice for others? Like how, how did you nap? Like, honestly, how did you navigate this? Like how, like emotionally, physically, mentally, like, do you have advice for others who are going through it? Number one, I want to acknowledge that it's hard. Yeah. It is the hardest thing that I have ever gone through that had to do with me. Like yeah. I've been a support person to someone else who's gone through something extremely difficult like that. But I, it's never happened to me, and I never thought something like that could ever happen to me. I Maybe I had that, like, teenager invincibility syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't take it for granted ever, but I just, I didn't think that something like that would happen to me. And it's hard, especially when you get to that point 16 weeks and you, you don't expect it. And even I had been chatting um, with an acquaintance. We have children that go to school together. So we were chatting about something and she shared that she had gone through a couple of second trimester losses in the last couple of years. And I was talking about my own pregnancy and I didn't want to tout anything, but in my mind, I was thinking, gosh, I'm really sorry that happened to you, but look at me, I'm at 16 weeks and that's not going to happen to me. And then it did just a few weeks after that conversation. And, and it's hard, especially, I think it's okay and expected to think that that won't happen to you when you get to that point. Yeah. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that, that it is hard. I think that yeah. as a surrogate, it can be extremely isolating, even with the relationship that I have with my intended parents, mm -hmm. it's, it's isolating. They're not here. Mm -hmm. They're going through their own grieving process. And I have to respect that. I'm going through my own grieving process and they're concerned, but they're respecting my space too. And while we're all respecting each other's space, it still can be very isolating. Yeah. And sure. I think that professional help is very important. Um, so I do really appreciate that my agency put me in touch with someone um, that they work with. It's, they don't work for the agency um, but they gave me a couple of choices of professional therapists that I could talk to, um, the ones they partner with for the psyche valves. And one is a former surrogate herself. And so having that person to talk through is really helpful. Um, I think professional help in general is the way to go yeah, because absolutely. It, it was hard for me to comprehend whether I was taking it too hard. Like this wasn't my baby. Right. Am I taking this too hard? Am I reacting the wrong way? Day after day, it was hard to understand. And am I getting better or am I not? I would have good days. And then I would have days where I, I couldn't put on clothes without breaking down because I don't fit into anything I own. I, I don't need to be wearing maternity clothes, but that's all that's in my closet right now. I don't into my regular clothes they're all packed away I don't want to go shopping because I might try again and what if I get pregnant soon it just were so many thoughts going through my mind and I had to make right. sure I wasn't actually crazy oh so my gosh to a professional was really helpful yeah um 
So th that's the advice that I would give and just yeah. give yourself the time and the space to grieve in your own way, because we're all different. Mm -hmm. um, I know some people say that surrogate Facebook groups are toxic. And I think that some people in them can be, and mm -hmm. I had just joined a transfer group and so many people in there were really supportive, but some told me that they had seen my, I shared a lot in my Instagram stories and several told me that I was taking it way too hard and they didn't think that I would get approved to try again. And I thought, well, am I taking it too hard? I, I think that I'm being normal. I think that I'm just sharing and and we all go through things differently. So I think we just need to respect each other and our grieving process. Absolutely. I think if, if you see someone that's like months past the event and is still really struggling, I would reach out to that person and ask them, you know, how can I help? What, yeah. what resources can I direct you to? Because at that point, it's probably concerning, but you know, a weekend, cool. we're all going to be in a different place. Uh, yeah. Jimmy, I would just like to touch on on the people that said you're taking it too hard or like people like that that feel like they have the right to say, say how that. others can feel yeah. right. that um, I just I'm kind of dumbfounded that someone yeah. wouldn't have the empathy for a fellow surrogate and that's because look what that made you look what that made you do you don't even know these people and look what that made you do that made you rethink Wait, hold on and now I'm second guessing myself like am, am I am I crazy am I am I am I taking it too hard like all these things go through your head that you don't need just you don't need that right at that moment like if you have nothing nice that's my PSA if you have nothing nice to say just don't say it like but don't you think that in the cover of Facebook and the cover of Instagram, if you had a bunch of surrogates lined up in front of you and you were at a meeting or a social or getting coffee, I don't think any one of them would have said that to your face. No, but in the darkness or the cloud of this Instagram where you can just put anything, you don't have to re be held accountable. And I'm not saying let's slap their hand. I'm just saying people, before you say stuff like that, double think it, reverse it you're in that position. Just think, would you like somebody saying that to you? Like you said, Grace, you all have to go through your own time and your own grief. Yeah. It just, that just annoys me that people feel that they can just go, Oh, you're taking it too hard. Eh, you were getting the help you needed and you were dealing with it in your own time. Yeah. And you're talking about it. I think that's therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Um, I really appreciate the, the depths of which you've gone to talk about it to yeah. us because my heart's just so heavy over here. Just, I don't know if I could have walked the walk. I, I, I did lose a twin, but it was 10 weeks. And I'm not saying that that lessens the loss, but it's different for sure. Yeah, and it's, it's way it different. Be different at any point in time. Yes, absolutely. And different for any person. I think oh. somebody, if they had that opinion, they could have reached out to me privately to share like, Hey, I'm worried about you. What yeah, do you need? Yeah. And that's a polite, that's a polite, that's a polite way, way to put it. Yes. But Grace, you're also such like a sweet human being that mm -hmm. <laughs> I wish everybody thought, thought and spoke the way that you did because yeah. you do it with such grace. <laughs> that's funny. Your name <laughs> <is>. <laughs> so did, it, it's, did they have to do a death certificate? Was it, was it 16 weeks or oh. did they fudge that a little no. bit? From what I understand, I think it's a state by state basis, but in California, I it's either 20 or 22 weeks that they okay. do death certificates. Okay. 
So no, they did not. And we went through, I always consulted the parents. I thought about, you know, do we want to give him a name? Do you guys have a name you want for him? Um, I just, I felt so sad. This poor baby yeah. not having a name. Yeah. Um, I thought about how, where his remains would go. It's very difficult to get remains out of the country. So um, they asked for the hospital to take care of that part. And just all these things go through your head, like the death certificate too, like what happens? Um, But no, at that point in time, there's, there's no death certificate. Okay. Was all of that. Just a stamp on our hearts forever. Right. uh, Such a huge loss. Um, Did they have, mm, and I, if, if I'm delving too much, you let me know. Did, did anyone do like a little bit of a, not a celebration of life, but just celebration of him, a, a memorial, anything, but I know there's no death certificate, but I don't know. Did you just do that privately? There was no like ceremony. No. Yeah. The, the day. I can't remember if it was the day that I got word from the fertility clinic that we were good to try again once they'd reviewed my records or if it was the day my OB cleared me. Um, The parents reached out to me and they let me know that they really, that was the day that they felt they could truly grieve and start to move on. Because again, they had been so worried about me. And so getting that word from the doctor that that kind of like that chapter is closed everybody's good we can move forward now um they they asked me if I had any more pictures that I could share or anything so that they could spend some time really grieving so it wasn't necessarily on my end though they did include me in that way just by looping me in and sharing their feelings I had mailed them a card from Stanford while we were up there um for the procedure. And I had put in pictures that I had just my favorite ultrasound pictures. I was worried to send all of them because it's Israel and going so far internationally. What if something happened to them? Um, but I did send them the hard copies of the most recent, really good ultrasounds. Mm -hmm. And it took so long for them to get the card and it had the wrong address on it, unfortunately, but eventually they got it. So that was really exciting, but it just kind of reopened their thoughts again yeah and then because I thought it had gotten lost in the mail because it took so long and because I had accidentally put the wrong address on it I sent them a duplicate I tried to rewrite what I had written the first time and I found the same card and then I had gotten them a new one anyway um I had Stanford I asked them to take they told me they were doing 3d ultrasounds when they were doing all my scans to rule out the um Akrita So I asked them, I said, I don't want to look at it right now, but can you please make me a 3D picture of the baby's face that I can give to the parents so that they can have that? And they put it in an envelope for me and I wasn't even able to touch the envelope for several weeks, but I wanted to make sure that the parents got it. And they, they asked me like, Hey, do you have that? Can we have that? Um, So I made them a new card and I, I looked, it was a very cute picture. It wasn't 3d like we think of with like the dimensional face, but it was a really good, um, profile picture of the baby. And so I sent that with all the other hard copies that I had and, um, sent them a new card. And, and that was kind of our, our way to, to move forward and close that together. Okay. So 
thank you again. Yeah. I know you've said it several times, yeah. but that, that's so very painful. It's mm -hmm. a hard topic to talk about. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. Thank you. So where you said now you're moving forward. So where are you in this sibling journey now? Let's talk happy. Where are we? Yeah. yeah. So to make your heart much less heavy, Ellen, uh, <laughs> we are moving forward. Yay. And uh, I got word that we could move on Good. several weeks ago from the fertility clinic after they reviewed my records and everything. Um, and that was such a huge relief just yes. to know that they felt like we looked good to move forward. And then they did ask me to come in for a repeat saline ultrasound. I didn't have to do a full like medical screening and everything, but they just wanted to make sure there weren't any abnormalities on the yeah. ultrasound. So I went in and did that uh, last week, actually, oh, just wow. a week ago. And we got our transfer date by the end of last week. So we're so excited. We'll be transferring. I had the choice between November 1st and November 8th, but the first is my son's birthday and I just don't want to be gone on his birthday. So yeah. we are moving forward. I've never been pregnant like that in the summer, like full on oh, pregnant in the summer. Right, so. right, right. That'll be fun because baby will be born August. Yeah, that August. Be August. Okay. All right. The hot summer months in California. <laughs> yeah. But cool that'll time. be, it'll be great. It'll be nice yeah. to have uh, some nice pool days. Yes. And, uh, yeah, it, it'll be a good time. We're cuter maternity clothes, little dresses, yeah. little shorts. Oh, I have, I have so many dresses. I, I still, I, I'm me. I'm not, I don't know if you watch the office. I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. Yeah. So I yes. love that line. <laughs> I have not. I actually, I have, I'm in my office right now and I do yeah. have, I have that saying on the wall over there, um, oh, but I have not taken my maternity clothes out of my closet because I thought, uh, if I take them out, does, is that like karma? Is it all going to just not yeah. work out if I take I them out of my closet? So I've left all my maternity clothes out. I've just been making do with like five different items Aww. and I can't Thank wait to, yeah. to get it all going again. That'll be awesome. So do they know if what they already have eggs ready? Is I obviously because it's November is your transfer. <clears throat> yeah, they, they had it? um going into the whole process, I think they had nine total oh, wow. embryos. Wow. They used the same egg donor, anonymous egg donor, um, for both dads so that the oh, siblings could be yay. biologically related. Nice. Um and I, I can't remember what ratio of girls and boys they each had okay. since they've had a girl already. The first time they kind of left it up to chance, like, Hey, embryologists just pick the best one. Um, oh. and we'll go with whatever it is. So that made for super fun. The first journey, they didn't want to know who the dad was okay. until the birth. Okay. Um, I will say when we did the 3d, like the good facial 3d ultrasound, of baby girl the first journey as soon as her face popped up on the screen I was like oh I don't know if I could show them that because they will figure it out right away she looks really? just like her biological dad oh, um, but they they chose just the best embryo it turned out to be a girl we got to have a virtual uh, gender reveal party which was so fun oh fun and then um they, they did end up figuring out who the biological dad yeah. was through the pre-birth order prior to, um, prior to delivery. Oh. Okay. And so this time they were choosing a boy 
from yeah. the other dad. Okay, and awesome. I'm fairly certain we haven't connected on this one topic yet, but I'm fairly certain that they do still have boy embryos from the other dad. Okay, awesome. Wow. Well, we're we're like first week out of September, so it's not that far. October, so you'll start your meds soon, right? Are you doing yeah. injections, orals? What do you got going? Do you know? Hey, I feel like my clinic does everything, and huh. I was listening to your um, medications podcast yeah. over the weekend, oh. and I was thinking, gosh, everybody does it so different, but I'm cool with everything. Give me hey. all the things right. because Good it for works yeah. for me, and right. I'm fine with it. Um, so we'll start with Lupron yeah. and then, um, estrogen injections, okay. progesterone injections. Mm-hmm. I'll do, usually they've had me do a Z pack and prednisone right before the delivery yeah. or delivery. And then, um, progesterone suppositories starting, oh. I think they start the day of the transfer. There you go. Oh, and baby aspirin. Yeah, always baby aspirin. So you're cool with suppositories. You're one of those people that are like, I can do it. I, yes, I I really don't have a problem. They haven't been that messy for me. I don't know if it's just the kind that my clinic prescribes. Your body can also just absorb it very well. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It works for me. So bring it on. Let's, let's do do all the things to make it happen the right way. Yeah. So yeah, I'm fine with it. Grace, who gives you your shots? You or do you have a family member do it? It's just me. I've offered for all of them to try it. My kids Love are 15 it. and 12. So yeah. at this point, I'm like, hey, hey, you want to give it a shot? Oh, yeah. yeah. And they're like, no, 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 you go ahead. And then <laughs> I'm so afraid. I hope my husband doesn't listen to this, but I'm so afraid that he will get nervous oh. and poke me weird. I don't know. Yeah. So I just... I do it myself. I feel good about it. Yeah, good for you. I'm a control freak. I had to do all my own. I was like, oh, nobody else is doing them. Me. If I mess up, I mess up. If I bleed, I bleed. That's on me. I can't blame anybody. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like I have a good routine. Like I know I've tried a few different ways. I've tried the all heat. I've tried ice and heat. I've, I got this little, um, it's called a buzzy and it, um, it's like a, it's for injections, but it's made for kids and you put it on the injection site and it vibrates really hard. And so it just like tricks the mind to think about the vibration versus the injection. I don't really use that anymore. I'll probably try it again when I first start, but I kind of quit halfway through this last time. Cause I thought it, well, I know already it's not the injection that hurts. Yeah, It's the no. amount of medication that you're Correct. sticking in there. Yeah, And I don't know if it's because I was so much more fit the first time, like I'm still fairly in shape, but I was really super fit the first time I did um, my first journey. I don't know if that's the difference, but this last time I got the hugest nasty knots, the sides of my legs are still numb from the injections from before. Uh, So it's not, it's fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll all work out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And then when, on that, on that podcast, um, Rachel was saying how like, there's that thing now that like, you can like put the intro oh, yeah. and like, you, you couldn't bribe me enough with any type of food, any type of dessert. I got, I don't care what it is. I would, I couldn't, I just can't give myself a shot. Can't do it. 
it's more of no. them I think you're right though it's not it's not so much the injection hurts for me it's definitely a mental state of mind it's like ah oh, there's a needle because I'll go get a tattoo any day of the week but like putting a shot in me is like a whole different situation mm. like the medication mm. yeah and a few times this last time because I had those giant knots I'm pretty sure I hit a knot a couple oh, times so and it is the worst like down your spine hot yes. singeing pain oh. it's but it's so worth it, right? Right? It's, it is. Telling ourselves that. Absolutely. It's so worth it. But those, man, I know. I wish they gave you more areas that you could give yourself a shot because you you run out of area very quickly when they decide to like develop these like golf ball, tennis ball knots. It's like, um, yeah. like only can shoot into the knot now. Like <laughs> it's no longer, yeah. Oh, well, I know you can do your thigh too, but no, I I can't do that. Okay. Oh no, I wasn't able to do thighs. That must be huh. something in these last couple decades. Yeah. I haven't been for, for, for progesterone and an estrogen. Which one? Both? I've heard I, I did see a surrogate on Instagram that did her injections in her thigh. And I just the thought huh. of I don't know. I work out. So yeah. my quads are pretty, pretty developed, and I just can't imagine injecting yeah. Yeah. that much my butt into my yeah. quad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Got you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I guess that's a positive that they're coming up with other body parts that you can put these long ass needles with all the medication in. That's a positive. Grace, is there any advice that you would give to a first time surrogate? Do your research. Number one. I know I kind of touched on this at the beginning. Um, the kind of couple that you're looking for or person, whoever you want to be matched with. Yeah. I think really knowing what you're looking for. I didn't. And I'm, I feel really lucky that I got what I didn't know I wanted. Yeah. But looking back and, and hearing other stories and things like that, I really could make a different wish list. Like I'm 99.9% sure I really would prefer a male couple if I ever had to rematch or if I was going to do it over for whatever reason I I loved having a male couple it never occurred to me the the state of mind that an intended mother could be working through and all the different emotions and how that connection works especially not only with someone that's going to get pregnant with their baby, but who has had the opportunity to carry babies already. I think that that can be very, um, it, it could be something that takes a lot of finessing and navigating Yes, that relationship. And, and there's already so much that goes into the process of your emotions and, and what you are navigating on your own as a surrogate. I think thinking about what you're looking for in who your intended parents are yeah. is pretty big because that's going to add another layer of what you're navigating throughout your journey. Very so, good. Very good. Yeah, that's true. That would be a, the biggest advice. Yeah, no, it's great advice. That's great advice. Is a there... lot of times, first time surrogates, we've talked about this before, just like gung-ho, I don't care who, just give me yeah. anybody. And then that can be a recipe for disaster. It could. I'm not saying it is, but it could. You got a 50-50 chance. You got <laughs> oh, sometimes not even 50-50. Like you way back when, first time surrogate, like they handed me who I was going to be 
connected with. I didn't get a say at all. And one time it worked and one time it didn't. So it was like, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's just an extra layer that you have to deal with. It's not, can be not pleasant sometimes. For sure. You uh, appreciate everything that yeah, you've, no, really. that you've um, opened yourself up to talk about. It's very, um, it's very important right now. And I think it's really important that this gets out sooner um, because I keep seeing this happening. I just saw it to another um, fellow surrogate. And so I think that I don't want them to feel like so isolated. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. Yeah. Thank you and I do just want to put out there. I love helping others. I think everyone that's a surrogate loves helping others. That's why we do this. Mm-hmm. And I love making new friends. So mm-hmm. if I, I think you're going to put my Instagram handle on there, but yeah. if but anyone yeah. wants to reach out to me, if you're going through something difficult with surrogacy yourself, or you just want another compassionate, understanding surrogate to befriend, then hit me up on Instagram. We're all in this together and I'd love to be your buddy. I call them my Instagram buddies. Whenever I'm talking to my husband about my surrogacy friends I've met on Instagram, my Instagram buddies. So if people want to, if people want to follow you or if they want to get in touch with you and, and talk to you and make another Instagram buddy, where can they find you? It's Grace's Suro Journey with underscores in between Grace's Suro and Journey. Perfect. And I'll put it in the links so that way people can find you. I, I've suddenly found myself with 13 chickens. We started last year with eight and now we have 13. So if you want cute chicken oh. content, you can check out my other page too. But Real chickens. Yeah. Real chickens. Yeah. Do you use them for the eggs? That's what we got them for. We moved into this house a year ago and it came with a chicken coop. So we're like, oh, well, let's put chickens in it. So I ordered eight chickens because that was the minimum order oh my at my mypetchicken.com. And- oh my gosh, stop. <laughs> They're going to get flooded now. Mypetchicken.com is going to get flooded with people oh ordering. Watch. Well, they're, they're a wonderful company, which I discovered when I had to reach back out to them because one of the hens I ordered started crowing. Okay. And it turns like out rooster. he's, like it, it is a rooster. Yeah. So you, you order hens, but sometimes a rooster slips in there. So we, we ended up with a rooster and then we allowed, like, if you collect all the eggs right away, I know this is not surrogacy. Well, no, this is a surrogacy story. You can put this in there if you want. Okay. So hens will sometimes display this behavior called broodiness where all they want to sit on eggs. Even if you're collecting the eggs all the time, if you collect them all the time, whether they're fertilized or not, they won't develop um, as long as you collect them and put them in the fridge. But sometimes eggs want to be, or not eggs, the hens want to be broody. They just want to sit on eggs. And with how hot it's been, I can't just let my hens sit up in the nesting box and like steam themselves to death. And then they stop taking care of themselves. So we have to break them of this behavior by kind of isolating them for a few days and then they forget what they were doing and they go back to live their normal life. Oh so one of our hens, Norma, would not stop being broody. We tried, we isolated her for a few days. She just wanted to go straight back up in the nesting box. Oh my and my daughter asked me if we could give her an egg and let like, let's see what happens. 
And I thought, okay, well, like, what's one more chicken? Sure, one more. We could do one one baby chick. We gave her two eggs, kind of to go back to, like, the old school surrogacy days. Like, what if one doesn't work out? Right. Um, so we gave her two. And when hens start to go broody, they stop producing their own eggs. So we had to give her another hen's eggs to sit on. And so the, this is another hen and the rooster's eggs she sat on them for three weeks and we ended up with one hen so she's a surrogate hen she's raising her baby and then my daughter and husband went to the feed store while I was out of town for work just to get more chicken feed and came home with four more baby chicks and the surrogate mama adopted them all and so now we have five huh yeah so she's she's raising them all I think that she's uh kind of over the assignment every morning she's ready to go we keep them inside at night and in the morning she's done she's out the door she's ready to go she wants to do her own thing but she'll still snuggle them all at night precious I love it Look at that. That. Really, that really was a very cool segue to the end of this podcast. That really was. <laughs> Hens are surrogates too. It's totally. Yes. Fun. I love yeah. it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Grace. This has been beyond lovely. I know we've gone yes. a little bit over, but thank you so yeah. much. No, yes, thank you for thank your you time. Thank so you much for having me. Have a thank good you. night. You thank too. you too. Take care, Grace. Bye. Good luck. November 8th. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. Oh, she's so, she's so graceful. Like, yes, yes. Well done on her name. Cause like, she is just grace. And she just walked through that when that happened to her. And I know it's very painful. I understand that. But just the way she, I don't know, just her calmness in speaking about it. You you can really tell she's worked through it. Like that. Yes. It's something that happened. Not going to define her. Yeah. It's not going to define her. She's going to continue on. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's great. I think she, it's great. Bring, she brings a sense of peace. Oh. And you know, it's and how sweet to be available to talk to others who might be going through this. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. It takes a very, and you're very sweet and special grace. So thank you so much. So much. Well, if anybody has any stories or if they have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at stop period sit period surrogate. And this has been another episode of Stop Sit Surrogate with Kennedy and Ellen. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Take care. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give us a like and subscribe. Also, check the link to our YouTube channel in the description.